Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Good morning, family. Before we dig into the Word, let's, let's go to the Lord. Father, we are so grateful this morning already for the time we've had in worship time we've had together as family, time to come to the table and remember your amazing grace to us through the, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. We're thankful for the uh, opportunity to participate with, with your work around the world and, and uh, for the generosity of, of this church and, and, and just our ability to partner with these folks. What a blessing that is. Our hearts break for many in our family who are suffering in different ways with illnesses and, and loss. And I think particularly this morning of, of uh, Jeff and the loss of his brother, we're grateful that Jerry in the last years um, has put his faith in Christ. We know where he is and, and uh, what a blessing that he is now free of pain and uh, with you. Well, Father, we have the joyful privilege of opening your word and learning together, and I pray that you would indeed open it before us. May your spirit help us to not only hear, but to understand, and that we might put it into practice. To that end, we commit ourselves and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to take a Bible and open to the book of Philippians and chapter 4. Today we're finishing up a brief series of studies that we began, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago, looking at Philippians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 9. In verse 1 of this section, the Apostle Paul calls for us to stand firm in the Lord. Football season has begun. High school began a couple of weeks ago, college games kicked off last week, the NFL begins today, right? And uh, I've never been much of a football player, I played a little bit in the you know, flag football in gym, that was about it. And uh, I did, one thing I know about football is that, well, if you're not very good, they put you on the line, they say, here you block, <laughs> okay? And your job is to stand there and not die while people on the other side run over you. And <laughs> that's not the way it's supposed to be. The intention is you're supposed to have a line that does not move, that stands firm, that holds their ground and does not give ground to the opponents no matter what they are throwing at you. You hold your ground and that's what this passage is calling for us to do, to stand firm in the Lord. That's easy to say, but the reality is it can be difficult. God wants us to have stability in our lives and to stability in our walk with Christ. He wants us to be people who can endure rejection, who can endure persecution, who can endure temptation, who can endure difficulties, who can endure trials, who can endure loss, who can endure poverty, who can endure illness, who can endure success, who can endure wealth, who can endure 
any or all of these things. But the reality is that's hard. To endure such things and not be defeated, not be dejected, not be depressed, not be disgruntled with God or man. But the scripture here calls us to be people who stand firm in our faith. To be people, as the book of Philippians describes, people who are full of hope and full of joy. The Apostle Paul himself models that for us. A man filled with hope and joy and who stands firm and has endured more than most of us would ever imagine. But in this passage, what we noticed is it doesn't just call for us to stand firm, but the apostle lays out for us some instructions. He gives us some direction. He gives actually seven commands in these verses that provide for us some some keys to how we can stand firm in our faith. We saw the first of these was he calls for us to stand together. Literally, the command was to agree in the Lord, to get along with one another. We will not stand firm in our faith. We will not stand firm spiritually if we do not stand together. We cannot enjoy fellowship with Christ. We cannot have the power of the Lord and the Spirit working in us, in our lives, if we harbor angerness and bitterness and resentment and there is dissension in our relationships with one another. We are to stand together. He also calls for us to be joyful. The command literally is to rejoice in the Lord always. We are commanded to be people of joy, but we are not to find our joy in our circumstances nor in our surroundings, but to find our joy in our relationship with Christ. Rejoice in the Lord, it says. It furthermore commands for us to be gracious. It says Literally, it says, let your reasonableness or let your gentleness be known or be evident to all. We learn that we are to be people who graciously give up our rights who yield our rights, not people who demand what we think we are due. Be gracious. He calls for us to be people who do not worry. The command is do not be anxious or do not worry about anything. It's pretty self-explanatory and it's all-inclusive. Don't worry about anything. But, and paired with that, is the command to pray about everything. It's the alternative. Instead of worrying, we are to bring everything, all of our concerns, our needs, our problems, to God with thanksgiving, it says. Last week, the sixth key, change your thinking. The command is to think on these things. And gives us a list of things that we are to be thinking about We are to control and to direct what our minds dwell upon, to learn to think well, to fill our minds with that which is good and right, that which is admirable, it says, or excellent and worthy of praise. As Christians, we are also called to be thinking people. Our faith is not a mindless faith nor a blind faith, but it is a reasonable faith. Scripture regularly appeals to our reason, not just simply to believe, 
but rather to think and to ponder, to meditate, to consider, to reason, to investigate. We realize that how we think is vital because thinking shapes our behavior. Today we come to the end of our study and to the seventh of these commands and the final key to standing firm in our faith. Look at verse 9. Follow along in your Bibles there as I read verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The seventh key here in our text is... Do it. Do it. Practice these things. And three things I want to notice in this verse and call our attention to specifically this morning. For us to do it, we need to learn it. We need to learn the truth. If we're going to do it, if we're going to put it into practice. The Apostle uses actually four different words that help us to understand how the Philippians acquired this truth. And it'll help us to follow in their footsteps. We need the knowledge and wisdom and the insight of God's Word. And the Apostle Paul says, What you have learned. What you have, the word means to become informed, to increase knowledge. It's what happens when we are a student. It's no secret, because I say it often, when we get around this time of year and school, uh, summer starts to wind down and school, they put the school supplies out. I've made it no secret. I get depressed. And when school starts, I get more depressed. Sorry, kids. I hated school growing up. I have to admit it. Did not like it at all, and so I, I still just get depressed when it starts. That was until college. And in college, when I started studying things I liked, all of a sudden, oh, this can be interesting. And then I went to seminary, and I loved seminary. They had to kick me out, say, go do something. Stop studying. The fact is, all of us, according to the Scripture here, are to become students As the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, study, be diligent to learn the Word of God, that we might apply it well. We need to be students. When Paul says here, what what you have learned, he's calling us and reminding us that we need to be students, and we need to be fed God's Word outside of these walls and this hour. Most people about now are going, wondering, how long is the pastor going to go? And I'm, I got started late, so it buys me extra time. <laughs> okay. But the reality is, I have family over there who is going, we're celebrating Mamaw's 95th birthday today. All the in-laws and outlaws are here. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to get together, uh, supposedly at 1 o'clock, and eat. We may still be saying the benediction about 1 we're going we're gonna to eat, and then we're going to eat the rest of the day. There is food nonstop from 1 o'clock till we pass out at you know, midnight or whatever. But everybody wonders, yeah, I know everybody gets hungry on Sundays this hour. And we start thinking about lunch. And Sunday lunch is great. For the early service, it's Sunday brunch. I get it. 
But, but it's great. But if the only meal we eat is Sunday lunch, we got a problem. If that's literally the only meal we eat, by Tuesday we're starting to feel it. Or matter of fact, by Sunday evening, most of us are starting to feel it. And we rapidly become malnourished and sick. As it is physically, so it is spiritually. If the only spiritual food we get is Sunday morning in this hour, we're hurting. We become malnourished and sickly as followers of Jesus. We need to intentionally make sure that we are inputting God's truth into our life. Here at the church, we have lots of opportunities for that. There's Sunday school, there's children's church, there's home groups, and there's men's Bible studies, and ladies' Bible studies, and youth Bible studies, and there's kids' club on Wednesday night, and there's all kinds of things going on during the week. But even outside of that, there's, there's so many opportunities afforded to us. There's Christian radio, KSIV, 24 hours a day. They got folks on there preaching the Word of God. Very clearly, and it's good teaching. There's correspondence courses. There's personal Bible study. We should all be involved in getting the Word of God into our life. If you're not reading the Word of God on a regular basis, out in the foyer, out in the Koinonia Center, that means fellowship, by the way, there's brochures there that have our scripture reading plan for the year. We encourage you to join us. We're reading through the New Testament and Psalms. Learn the Word of God. He used another word, what you have learned. He also said what you have received. Now, this word received is kind of interesting. It can be used in a technical sense, and it could be talking about the Scriptures. What we have received, in other words, what has been passed down to us from the prophets and the apostles, the Word of God delivered to them, to us, and here we have the Word of God received. It may be speaking of that, That's a legitimate use of the word. And in such, we need to be careful. Not only do we learn what is being taught, but we are to be careful to go to the book itself and see, is what is being taught really what the Scripture says? Because it is, the Word of God is our authority, not what the pastor says. In the book of Acts, Paul commends the Bereans, Acts chapter 17, because he says, they search the Scriptures daily to see whether the things were so. They'd listen to Paul teach and they'd, they'd run and they'd check out, what does the Scripture say? So you should do whenever I teach, whenever Pastor Aaron teaches or whoever is here in the pulpit, you should go home and say, is what they say what it says here? Same with Sunday school, same with what you hear on the radio. That may be what this means, but I really don't think that's Paul's point here. When he says what you've received, I think what he's really getting at is that it's one thing to learn something intellectually, to hear the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, to know it up here in our head. It's an entirely different thing to receive the Word of God where I don't just know it in my head, I own it in my soul. I believe it. I trust it. Sadly, we're often like the lady on the way out on Sunday morning says, Pastor, what a great message this morning. So convicting. There wasn't a thing you said that doesn't apply to people I know. 
But isn't that the way we are? You know, we want to we change the words to amazing grace from amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you, <laughs> like them. But it applies to us. And this calls us not only to recognize that God's word is true, but it applies to me. And so I choose to receive and accept its truth. Paul says, what you've learned, what you've received, he also says, what you have heard and seen in me. Paul taught the truth, but he also lived it. The Philippians not only heard the truth, they saw it fleshed out in the life of the Apostle Paul. And there's a couple of important lessons there for us. The first is that we need to follow good models. Most of us can benefit from, from looking up to a God, some godly men and women and saying, that's what it looks like, and following their example. There's good value in that. I've had so many good role models in my own life that I've tried to pattern after. Sometimes it helps to not just read it on a page, but to see it lived out and go, oh. But there's another lesson there. And that is that we are to be good models because there are people looking at us. Learn the truth. Receive the truth. Model the truth. The second big thing I want us to notice in this verse is that not only are we to learn the truth, but we are to practice the truth. It's the seventh of these commandments. Practice these things, or as we've summarized, I've summarized it, do it. All the wisdom that precedes this is wasted if it ends before this step. It doesn't matter if you had an eloquent pastor rather than me. It doesn't matter if you listen to it every day, 24-7, listen to people preaching the truth. It doesn't matter how much you hear it if our lives, if your life remains unchanged, if it doesn't have any impact, then we'll remain unstable people. We remain people who are shaken and our our lives tossed about by circumstances and temptations and pressures. If all we do is listen to these messages and we say, those are some really nice thoughts. Thank you, Paul, for writing those down. Thank you, Pastor, for sharing those. See you next week. Our thinking cannot be abstracted from our doing. This is not to be just some mental exercise, some intellectual, you know, little thing we go through. It's not just some spiritual ideas, but it is to be a subjection of our life, of our living to the truth of God's Word. I'm reminded of the Sunday school teacher who asked the class one Sunday, you know, he said, said here we are. There it is. It's a command. And what do we do with commands? And one lady raised her hand. She said, I I highlight them in blue. And that's the temptation for what we do. We, We tend to hear them and we go, God, that's a great thing for people to do. I really hope that my wife will do that this week, you know. 
And no, it's what are you doing? What am I doing? Truth isn't intended to be stored up in a notebook or just stored up in the dusty corners of our brain. It's intended to be worked out and fleshed out in life. That's why Paul, earlier in this letter, back in chapter 2, he tells the, the folks there in Philippi, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And it's tempting, I know, to read that and go, whoa, pastor, we just said earlier at, salvation, at the communion time that, that our salvation is something that we receive as a gift. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we can work for. But isn't that what he's just saying? No, that's not at all what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that it needs to be lived out. You see, unfortunately, churches, I hope not this church, but I'm sure it is, like churches all over the United States and all over the world are meeting here on September 3rd, 2023. And there are many people in churches whose minds are stuffed full of the truths of God's Word, but if we followed them around on Monday, tomorrow on September 4th, if we listened to how they talk to people, if we listened to how they treat their husband or their wife or their kids, if we listened to the things that they laugh at or the stories they tell, if we saw the attitude with which they worked, if we saw how they treat authority, if we go on down the list, we would see that their life is indistinguishable for the most part from the people around them who could care less about God. And it ought not be so. That's what Paul is saying. People who claim to follow Jesus, but their, their values, what they prize, what they chase after, What they live for is no different than the culture around them. That ought not be so. And so I think he's saying, don't be deceived. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll start a study in the book of James, and that'll carry us up till Christmas. James chapter 1, verse 22, James writes this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What he says is, in other words, if we come in on Sundays and we listen to the Word of God and we go, that's awesome, that's great, and we go home and it makes no difference at all, if it doesn't change who we are at home, if it doesn't change who we are at work, if it doesn't change who we are, he says, we deceive ourselves when we look in the mirror and we say, aren't I a good Christian? The Word of God should take root in our life and change us. Anything else is like the guy who went to the doctor and the doctor said, you're in a horrible condition. You are probably going to die soon unless you change things. You need to get out. You need to get exercise. And the guy goes home and he says, wow, the doctor told me some stuff. And I, you know, he's talking to his neighbor. He says, the doctor told me some stuff and I realized I need to make some changes You know, I used to sit around all the time and watch golf. Now I'm watching tennis. (laughs) There's a lot more activity in tennis. Yeah, 
totally deceiving yourself if you think that's doing you any good. But we are just as foolish as that, the Scripture says. When we look into the mirror of God's Word, James goes on to, James goes on to say, we look in the mirror and go away and don't do a thing different. Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, he said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation upon the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. And many of us grew up in church hearing the song. So I think the kids still sing it down in Sunday school or children's church today even. You know, the wise man built his house upon the rock, you know. And the kids love it when you get to the second verse and you get to the foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went, Flah! you know, splats, whatever. They love it, yeah. And as funny as a song, it's not funny in real life. When someone who professes faith in Christ and who comes to church week after week, but they don't, build their house, they don't build their life on the words of Christ, and one day their house goes crash. What's even worse than sitting in the ruins of a life of what sin can do in a life is that the person may have deceived themselves thinking that they are going to heaven when in fact they may have never been a believer at all. That is Jesus' point. Again, Jesus says a few verses before that some very sobering words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus says not everybody who comes to church and raises their hand and goes, yes, praise the Lord. Not everybody who puts money in the plate, not everybody who shows up week after week is going to get to heaven. And those ought to be sobering words. But only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Now again, is Jesus contradicting what we have said earlier, that salvation cannot be earned, cannot, cannot be in any way paid for by good deeds or anything we do but can only be received as a gift. He's not contradicting that at all, just as Paul didn't. Again, Paul says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it is by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. It's not at all ever by anything we do. But the reality is that if we really believe, if we really have faith, it shows up in real life. It makes a difference. That's Jesus' point. The one who gets to heaven isn't the one who just says stuff. It's the one whose faith shows up in real life because it's real faith. Just as if my phone suddenly went off and get a little alert, you know, there is a tornado about to hit this building in like two minutes. (laughs) Weather alert. There's a tornado about to hit the building in two minutes. 
Okay, let's finish the sermon. And we all sit here. We can say we believe that all we want, but if, unless we are, have a death wish, we really, it's okay if we die right now, that's good. Keep, keep going, Pastor. I can, I can appreciate that. <laughs> no, the reality is, see, if we believe there's a tornado about to hit, if we really believe it, then we duck for cover. We go downstairs. It affects change. Real faith affects change. That, by the way, is the core message of the book of James that we're jumping into next week. And so, if we say we believe the truth, but it doesn't impact our our life, we deceive ourselves. Lastly, on this thought, practice means a way of life. It simply means that to practice doesn't mean we... Well, it simply means that we just keep doing it. It becomes a way of life. Obeying the Word of God is not easy, and it doesn't come natural. Our natural inclinations are generally to do the wrong things. And it's hard and awkward at times, kind of like learning to drive, especially in the good old days when we learned to drive with manual transmissions. In my dad's 60 three Chevy pickup truck with a clutch that <laughs> three in the tree and no power steering of course or power brakes because who would have that and there were so many things to think of and so much to do and it was so awkward and so difficult and you're just it's so hard and, and you're just I'll never it'll never make any I'll never get this and you know a couple of months later you just <laughs> Change the radio. (laughs) And so it is with putting the Word of God into practice. It doesn't just happen. We have to choose. I'm going to make, I'm going to take the Word of God and put it to work in my life. I'm going to start doing what it says. When we do that, and I'm going to have to close this here, we're out of time. Skip a few things. There's one more thing in this passage that we need to note. We need to learn the truth. We need to practice the truth. But this little verse has a marvelous, marvelous promise. A great promise. It says, the God of peace will be with you. Back in verse 7, Earlier, a few weeks ago, when we were looking at that, do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything, there's a promise there that if instead of worrying, we will take our concerns and prayers to God with thanksgiving and we'll pray, it says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This promise is even bigger than that one. The God of peace will be with you. When you and I will take the take the initiative to say, I'm going to learn the Word of God. I want to learn it as best I can so that I can input it and own it in my life and start to put it into practice and take those difficult steps of doing what God says even when it seems so unnatural, even at times when it seems foolish to do what God says to do. He says, He'll show up. We will have the God of peace will will be with us with us in his presence and with us in his help, his power. How do we stand firm in the Lord when, frankly, life can be so hard? 
we stand together. We be joyful. Be gracious. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Change the way that we think according to the guidelines God has given us. A new way of thinking. And then we start to put it into practice. Do it. And the God of peace will be with you. Father, we needed this because this is hard stuff. The reality is everybody in this room, everybody watching online, we all struggle to put these things into practice. We get distracted by so many things. We get discouraged by things. It's difficult. Father, I pray that we will be people who encourage one another, that will stand together. That we will be people who place our joy in you rather than our joy in the stuff and the circumstances of life. That we will be people who will be gracious, who don't cling so hard to our plans and our rights. We can let those go. That we won't be people who worry, but rather people who pray. We put it in your hands. We rest in you. It will be people who think about those things which are excellent and profitable and, and uh, worthy of praise, things that are good and right, rather than wasting our time on the things that so, use, so often consume our minds and our thinking. And then, Father, we'll be people who won't just learn this stuff in our heads. We'll be people who start putting it into practice day by day. And then, God, we're going to count on the fact that you're going to make good on your promise. That as we seek to put it into practice, that you'll show up. That you'll be there to encourage us. That you'll be there to strengthen us. You'll be there to equip us. You'll be there to help us. How we need that, Father. We are needy, needy people. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with Him this week.